Happy Sunday, church family and friends. I want to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. I hope you had a wonderful week in the Lord. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Ruth chapter 3. So if you start at the beginning of your Bible, you'll have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then you'll come to Ruth. So Ruth is sandwiched right in between Judges and 1 Samuel. So Ruth chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read the entire chapter like we've done in previous weeks. Um, This week is a little bit shorter, but I invite you to follow along with me. Ruth chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you, so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He'll tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord has blessed you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You're showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you've not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I'm one of your family redeemers, there's another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if he's not willing then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up after it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. I'm so excited to be in week three of our series on the Old Testament book of Ruth. Last week, we ended our time at the end of chapter two on a high note. Ruth found work in a field that belonged to a man named Boaz. We read about how Boaz approached her, spoke to her first, offered an opportunity for her to work and be provided for, and he treated her like she was part of the family. Even as a foreigner, A woman and a poor widow living in this time, Ruth chose to walk by faith, to depend on God's grace and to live in hope. And last week we were reminded that 
that we should choose to walk by faith, depend on God's grace, and live in hope as well. And we can do this because of Jesus. Ever since Boaz came into Ruth's life, Naomi, her mother-in-law, has been a completely different person. Her concern is no longer for herself and for her own struggles, but for Ruth and her future. This is a great reminder for all of us today that there's real joy in serving others. You know, the change in Naomi's life reminds me of Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, which says, You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. It was the martyred German pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who once called Jesus the man of others. I think this is an appropriate title for Jesus. We have to remember that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God's plan for his people is that they would be conformed to the image of his son. And as God transforms our lives, as we're conformed to the image of Jesus, we learn from Jesus to live like Jesus. We learn to live a life of service to God and to others. We serve others in love. When Naomi and Ruth came to Bethlehem, their plan was for Ruth to take care of Naomi and for both of them to just get through life the best they could. But in chapter 3, we see something amazing and something kind of unexpected. We see God's plan unfolding. And that plan was for Ruth to marry Boaz, her family redeemer. After sending Ruth out to meet with Boaz and now hearing her report when she returned, Naomi knew that Boaz would be on board with the plan. So Naomi started to set things in motion. Now, it's important to note that in Ruth's day, it was the parent's job to arrange the marriage. So Naomi was not out of place in what she was asking Ruth to do. We also need to keep in mind that the book of Ruth is so much more than a record of the marriage between a foreigner from Moab and a respected Jewish man from Bethlehem. It's also an incredible picture of Christ's relationship to his bride, the church. And in the steps that Ruth takes, following her mother-in-law's instructions, we actually see the steps that we should take if we want to grow in our own relationship with Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We'll take a closer look at some of these important steps that Ruth took. And we'll talk about some of the practical application in our own lives. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first truth, uh, the first step that Ruth took is this. Ruth prepared to meet with Boaz. Ruth prepared to meet with Boaz. We see this in verses 1 through 5. And like previous weeks, I'm not going to reread the text since we read it in context already, but I would encourage you to read that on your own this week. So there were other men in Bethlehem who would have gladly married Ruth. We read about that in verse 10, but they could not have redeemed her. There's a difference. So only a kinsman or, or a family redeemer could do that. And Boaz was that family redeemer. Maybe you're thinking, what is a family redeemer? I've never heard those words or that, that terminology before. On the Old Testament, a family redeemer was a relative who volunteered to take responsibility for the extended family. So for example, when a woman's husband died, like Ruth's husband had died, the law provided that she could marry a brother of her dead husband. Now, since Naomi didn't have any sons left, 
the next nearest relative to Ruth's deceased husband could become that family redeemer by marrying Ruth. Now, if he chose not to marry her, then the next nearest relative could take his place. And then if nobody chose to marry her, she'd likely have to live alone and live in poverty the rest of her life. Since Naomi knew that Boaz was using the threshing floor that night, he was working, and this is just an outdoor space where uh, the grain was separated from the chaff, that's what he was doing. Since she knew that he was working, she instructed Ruth to prepare herself to meet with Boaz. Ruth prepared herself in specific ways before meeting with him. And in doing so, we're reminded about how important it is to prepare our own hearts, to prepare ourselves to meet with the Lord. So how did Ruth prepare herself, and how is that applicable for our lives? Well, Ruth prepared herself to meet with Boaz by washing herself, uh, putting on perfume, putting on her nicest clothes, learning how to present herself to him, and by obeying her mother-in-law's instruction. We have to take a step back for a moment and uh, learn that living in Bethlehem during this time, you know, a person needed to take a bath pretty frequently. That's not much different than from today. See, during the spring and summer months, the temperature was really hot, and there was usually a lot of dust in the air. Now, for God's people, the law of Moses required what's called ceremonial washing. So you take a bath, you put on expensive perfume, uh, you change into your nicest clothes. Um, The law required these ceremonial washings before going to a special event. In this case, Naomi was telling Ruth to act like a bride who was preparing for her wedding. All these things uh, were crucial steps that needed to happen before she could meet with Boaz. You know, she didn't want to show up with that Bethlehem B.O. and dust all over her face. That would have been terrible. So if we want to grow in our own relationship with Christ, there are certain steps that we should take before meeting with Jesus. As we talk about these things, please understand these are not works that we do to earn God's love, favor, or salvation. But instead, our steps we take that help prepare our hearts to worship him, uh, to hear from him through his word, and to serve him with the gifts that he's given us. So when we sin, we can be reminded about the incredible promise that's found in 1 John 1, verse 9. It says that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So God's word is so consistent. And friends, this is an incredible promise. God's promise to forgive us and to cleanse us from from all wickedness or unrighteousness. But sometimes, I want to point this out to you today. Sometimes God says to us, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. This is actually what we see in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. And it's an important truth that we see in Ruth 3 as well. So 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, it says, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. What does that mean, to cleanse ourselves? Well, cleansing ourselves starts by turning away from the things that harm or wreck our relationship with God and others. And by being intentional about focusing on Christ. We know what these things are in our lives, and we're the only ones that can choose to turn away from those things. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, we read these words. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, 
Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Friends, in Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we've been given every resource that we need to turn away from sin and to turn towards Christ. I would take it a step further as well and say that whether it's an addiction, having an attitude that compares your life to others, complaining about your current circumstances, maybe it's being cranky all the time, or toxic relationships in your life that tear you down instead of building you up and encouraging you in your faith. One step that we can all take to prepare our hearts to meet with Jesus and to grow in our relationship with him is to cleanse ourselves, to get rid of the things that get in the way. And maybe you're thinking, Craig, you don't understand my addiction. You know, this has been something that's been with me for, for months uh, or even years. Or, or maybe you think, Craig, you don't realize how difficult this season of life has been for my family. You don't know what it's like having to work with the kinds of people that I have to work with. You know, if that's what's going through your mind right now, I just want to say, you're right. You know, I don't understand. I, I don't know. But I do know this. That we have a God who does understand. We have a God who knows the number of hairs on your head. He's concerned about the small details. And he loves you. And today, if you have a relationship with him, he's given you everything that you need to bury that addiction once and for all. To love the people who are difficult to love. And to have the kind of attitude that honors God and is for the good of others. In the Old Testament... If the priests came into God's presence uh, defiled, they were actually in danger of death. This is an interesting thing to, to read about, kind of scary as well. And then throughout God's word, we see God's people being conscious of the need for holiness as they gathered to worship God and to carry out the mission that God had given them. Yet, Christians today seem to rush into God's presence without cleansing themselves of the things that rob them of God's joy and blessing in their life. They don't take the time to prepare their heart. And when it comes to worship, when it comes to reading God's word, uh, prayer, or serving God, I think it's important to learn the lesson that we see in Ruth 3, that we should prepare our heart to meet with God. And one way that we can do this is by getting rid of all the filth that stands in the way of our relationship with Jesus. This isn't meant to be a legalistic step, and it's important for you to see that today. It's meant to be an authentic step. You see, when we recognize who it is that we're worshiping and who we're living for, the natural response is to joyfully do as 2 Corinthians 7.1 instructs. We cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and we work toward complete holiness. We do this with God's help. One way that we can do this is by getting rid of all the filth that keeps us from growing in our relationship with Christ and being used by God. So before we worship together corporately on Sundays, before you read the word of God in your own time, before you serve God with the gifts that he's given you, I want to encourage you to prepare your heart. Prepare your heart to worship God, to hear from him, and to serve him. This is an important step to take. The second step that we see uh, Ruth taking, and there's certainly some application for our lives as well, is that Ruth submitted to and listened to Boaz. 
Ruth submitted to and listened to Boaz. We see this in verses 6 through 9. So feet, like physical feet, human feet, are mentioned four times in chapter 3. Now, I already know this is everybody's favorite subject, right? We love talking about other people's feet and even seeing feet, right? I'm I'm just kidding. If you go back to chapter 2, we read about how Ruth had fallen at the feet of Boaz, and she did this in response to his gracious words. But now, in chapter 3, she was lying at his feet to propose marriage. Maybe you're thinking, this is a really weird way to propose, or why didn't Ruth wait for Boaz to propose to her? Well, it's important to keep in mind that even today, people all over the world have different customs for marriage proposals and weddings. So in certain parts of France, uh, family and friends of the bride and groom, they'll gather outside the home of the couple, and they'll actually bang on pots and pans. They'll make really loud noises. And while they do this, the couple has to provide drinks and snacks for everyone. And this tradition is known as charavari. In Mauritania, brides actually try to gain as much weight as possible before their wedding day. Oh man, I've done one wedding so far this year and we have another one coming up in November. And I don't think that the brides would be on board for this. So the brides in Mauritania, they'll actually go to fat farms to eat and gain weight. Now, a lot of the women get really sick But even though they get sick, they still go through with the practice because they believe it brings good luck. Some South Korean families believe that in order to make the groom ready for marriage, his feet need to be beaten by dead fish and bamboo sticks. I think that's the weirdest one I read about this week. I have no idea what they're trying to accomplish with this. You can use your imagination. But when we go back to Ruth's proposal to Boaz... It seems different, but just know that it was completely normal in her time. And Boaz actually answers the other question of why she didn't wait for him to propose. In verse 10, we learn that Boaz fully expected Ruth to marry one of the younger bachelors in Bethlehem. So Boaz was older than Ruth. We don't know how much older, but he was older. And it's likely that he believed he didn't have a chance with her. But the most important reason is given in verse 12. I'm just going to read this verse for you. It says, while it's true that I'm one of your family redeemers. So this is Boaz talking to Ruth. He says, there's another man who's more closely related to you than I am. So we learn in verse 12, there was a closer family redeemer in town who actually had first option to marry Ruth. So Boaz was waiting for him to act. Now, knowing this, Uh, Ruth swoops in. She decides to force the issue by proposing to Boaz first. And now Boaz could approach this other family member and get him to decide if he wanted to marry and redeem Ruth or not. So while they're at the threshing floor, Ruth asked Boaz to spread the corner of his covering over her. And in doing so, she was basically saying this. She was saying, I am yours and you are mine. So the word corner that we read here, is best translated in Hebrew as wing. Now we go back to chapter 2, and we're reminded Ruth had taken refuge under the wings of God. And now, the same words being used, she would be under the wings of Boaz, her future husband. Friends, this is such a beautiful picture of marriage. It reminds me of Ephesians 5, verses 31 through 33, which says, As the scriptures say, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. 
So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Marriage between a man and a woman is meant to be an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. In the responses of of Boaz and Ruth, we see how the Lord responds to us when we seek to grow in our own relationship with him. And we're reminded in God's word that our heavenly father and our redeemer accepts us. Boaz accepted and loved Ruth. Our heavenly father loves us and wants a closer relationship with us. We learn that our heavenly father and redeemer assures us. So in the middle of the night, Ruth couldn't see Boaz. It was pitch black. It was dark outside. But he said to her, don't worry. Now, the most accurate translation here is the words and the phrase, fear not. He's saying, fear not. This is the same assurance that our heavenly father gives us. See, when we know the Lord, we don't have to fear the world or our our circumstances. We go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6, and we're reminded that we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. Now, I'm sure Ruth had some fears. I'm sure she had some worries, but Boaz assured her that she didn't have to have fear. She didn't have to worry. And God assures us of the same thing. Our Heavenly Father and our Redeemer gives us his great promises. Boaz made a promise to Ruth about her future. He said, I will do what is necessary, or I will do for you all that you ask. Friends, we can be reminded today that whatever God starts, he finishes. And whatever he does, he does perfectly. Ruth had prepared herself to meet with Boaz, and now she had to let Boaz do what only he could do. In a sense, she had to step aside and allow Boaz to do what only he promised that he could do. Ruth submitted to Boaz and and listened to him. We see that Boaz accepted her, assured her, and made promises to her, promises that we're going to see fulfilled next week in chapter 4. So we can be reminded today, an important step to take, if we're going to grow in our own relationship with Christ, is to submit to God's authority, submit to his leading in our lives, and to listen to his instruction through the counsel of his word. We can't grow unless we do that. The third step that we see Ruth uh, taking in chapter 3, and again, there's application for our lives, is this, that Ruth waited for Boaz to work. Ruth waited for Boaz to work. We see this in in verses 10 through 18, but I want to take a closer look specifically at verse 18. This is what verse 18 says. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 12, we're reminded that it's through faith and patience that we inherit God's promises. Last week, we talked a lot about faith. And today, I want to end our time talking about patience, everybody's favorite word. You know, since Naomi and Ruth believed that Boaz would accomplish what he said he would do, they waited patiently until they received the good news that Ruth would be his bride. I want to be the first one to say today that that waiting, being patient, is one of the most difficult things for me to do. Whether it's waiting for a table at a restaurant, you know, that really frustrates me sometimes. Uh, Waiting for a delayed flight, this only increases my fear and anxiety in flying. Or waiting for Christmas morning to arrive. Um, Waiting, being patient, is never easy for me. Knowing that waiting doesn't come easily for many of us, I wonder if that's why God's word consistently tells us to wait. 
His word consistently tells us to sit still, to stand still, or be still. So be patient was Naomi's counsel to Ruth. And this was wise counsel. See, Ruth wouldn't have accomplished anything by following Boaz around Bethlehem, trying to force him to keep his promises. Our human nature often gets anxious, and we do everything in our own power to try and help God out, as as if we could do that. But when we try to do this, it often only makes things worse. Yes, God wants us to believe his promises and then to act on them. This is what faith is all about. But sometimes, friends, we're told to be patient. We're told to be still. The first half of Psalm 46, verse 10, I think is the perfect antidote for those of us who struggle with waiting, with being patient. This verse says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. So the phrase, the words, be still, is best translated as take your hand off or relax. So the psalmist is telling us, take your hand off. Know that God is God. It's so easy for us to get impatient with God and start trying to take matters into our own hands. But we need to remember that he alone is God and he alone can accomplish the impossible. So while Boaz was busy working things out, Naomi was confident that he wouldn't rest until he had settled things. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, And I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You know, as a husband, as a father of four amazing boys, and as your pastor, this promise in Philippians 1.6 encourages me to know that God is constantly working with his people, in his people, and for the good of his people. While Boaz was busy working things out, Naomi was confident that he wouldn't rest until he'd settled things. Friends, we can be confident today. The Bible says we can be certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God's not done with my life. He's not done with your life. He's constantly working with his people, in his people, and for his people. Friends, that's an amazing promise. My question for you today is this, and I guess it's, it's three questions. One, are you preparing yourself to meet with God and to grow in your relationship with him? Are you, are you preparing your heart before you worship, before you read his word, and before you serve? Two, are you daily submitting your life to his leading? And are you listening to his instruction through scripture? And three, are you waiting patiently for the things that only God can do? The Bible tells us that nothing is impossible with God. These are all important steps to take if we're going to grow in our own relationship with Christ. Well, I'm excited to wrap up our series next week as we continue to see God's extraordinary work through ordinary people.